This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance Plus, save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hey, stackers. New course out in our university. If you're dealing with open enrollment right now, you can take our quick hit course before you turn your paperwork back into HR and find out how to get the most out of your company-sponsored benefits. Head to learn.stackingbenjamins.com for more. Who do you want to learn from? Uber nerds talking over your head or from the funnest people on the internet at Stacking Benjamins? Super funnest. If we do say so ourselves. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and on today's show, we're talking real estate. Think you can't afford to buy properties? Well, Lisa Phillips purchases very inexpensive houses, and she's going to tell you today just how she does it. In our headline segment, we'll welcome our social media buzz specialist from the Buzz Index, Jamie Wise. Also, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to a lucky listener from Australia. Talk about gamifying investing for millennials and still cap off this show with my remarkable trivia. And now, two guys who are waiting patiently for Taco Tuesday, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J-G. Taco Tuesday was yesterday and it feels like it's right around the corner, man. Everybody else plans for the weekend, but you're working for Taco Tuesday. That's why so this is like, a, what, a Saturday for you. Though. I know. That's why Wednesday's a bummer. Hey, everybody. I am Joe Salcihi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. Just so you know, which voice is which here in the basement across the card table from me? That's the sultry voice of the other guy, or as we the call him, OG. smooth and sultry voice. The smooth sounds. Smooth FM. OG. <laughs> <laughs> don't know where that came from. I don't but, know. You just... 
you know, looking up to me. I understand. But what I do know, OG, is that we should take a second to talk about how you can start earning passive income by investing in rental properties through this cool place called Roofstock. They're an online marketplace for buying and selling tenant-occupied homes. And whether you're in California, New York, Roofstock makes it efficient and hassle-free to diversify your portfolio and invest from anywhere in high-yield markets like Atlanta or Memphis or now Cleveland. Cleveland rocks. They lay all the property reports and financials at your fingertips and even connect you with vetted local property managers for hassle-free ownership. Every property is thoroughly vetted by the Roofstock certification team, so you know it's in good condition reliable tenant in place, and best of all, Roofstock certified properties are backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Roofstock property investing made simple. Visit stackybenjamins.com forward slash Roofstock today to learn more about rental home investing and browse exclusive listings. And we are also presented by Magnify Money. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money is the place you go. And by the way, let's do this, OG. We haven't done this in a while. Let's head to StackyBenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money. And let's look up interest rates because at Magnify Money, what you'll find is that whether it's a balance transfer, uh, cashback reward cards, 0% interest credit cards, checking accounts, savings accounts, personal loans, student loan refinancing, all the things you use in your daily life to get ahead. Over 92% of the products that are out there are at Magnify Money. And for savings accounts, I click two quick buttons and bam, we're up at 1.5 now. Big money. Yeah. Two banks. It says uh, Salem 5 Direct and Dollar Savings Direct. Salem 5 Direct has a minimum deposit of $100. Uh, they also have a fine print score. It's a B here, a little complex, it says. Dollar Savings Direct is a $1 minimum deposit, very transparent. It says that if you're putting, I don't know why I put $11,000 as my account balance, but if if you do, you'll... Because that's double what you really would have. <laughs> it's probably like six times. Uh, I'm a podcaster. We roll in the money. 165 bucks is uh, the amount of money you'll you'll make over what you're probably earning now. Stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money for more. We're going to magnify this show, man. We got Lisa Phillips talking about affordable properties. Everybody says that buying these really, really, really inexpensive properties, not a good idea. Lisa has made her money by doing exactly that. She's going to tell us how she does it on today's show. But first, we got some headlines, so let's move. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins headlines. First headline comes to us from Business Insider. This is written by Oscar Williams Groot. Groot. Mm, Groot. I'm sure he's never heard that. I bet he never has. BlackRock co-founder says this, investing should be more like a video game to attract millennials. Dun, 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 dun. Can you hear the Mario background music? The co-founder of BlackRock, the world's largest Asset manager thinks financial services companies need to be more like game developers to win over millennial investors. I I actually don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, if you put like levels on your investing and maybe you can get experience points, you can get like XP and get your money a new emoji or something. So your money has like a cape and like a diamond battle sword now instead of just that crappy wooden sword that starts out the level with. You hear from people though, <laughs> you hear from people that when they when they get good at paying down debt or saving, like the more you do it, the more you want to do it. And it almost becomes a game. Like we hear that over and over when we interview people, right? So you think maybe you should set yourself up as a game. How many lives do you get in the game <laughs> before you have to put more money into the game to start over? I like to, yeah, risk it all on Snapchat. 
can you put four people at the same game and you guys can all attack the game together like a co-op? Uh, Rob, <laughs> I don't know. What to do with that. I don't know. Uh, Rob Capito, president of BlackRock, says this. Most people use Uber because they'll say you've got the card. It's already paid for. It shows up. That's not why people really like it. He said, and, and I agree with this, they love watching the car come to get them. It's a game. All the technology is gamification, he said. Hmm. It'll be That's why int- I use DoorDash. It's basically like Uber for food. <laughs> I thought it was like a ding dong ditch it or whatever. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. DoorDash. DoorDash. It's like uh, you pull it, you go, ooh, I want tacos today. And you can see and- how close your tacos are? Yeah, I yeah, can, like the, you can see the, the little car goes to get it, and then it's driving down the road. You're like, mm, he's getting close. He's at the stop sign. Bring me my tacos. Bring me my stock. Bring me my exchange traded fund. Yes. But do you agree with this? Let's let's maybe. I mean, I kind of think this is right. If somebody phones, is that, not, is that not how everything is right now? I mean, you got but you don't all these see apps about money and yeah, you don't see brokerage services doing that. I mean, you see stripped down now with Robinhood, right? Where it's even less of a game. It's just like nothing, bare bones. But I think if you had a brokerage house or a brokerage service online where you save your first hundred dollars, you get experience points. You save, you know, your first thousand, you get more points. You know, it's funny because uh, John Hancock has a life insurance offering that's kind of like this. Like you get points based on how healthy you are and things that you do to make you more healthy. Like if you quit smoking, you get 500 points or whatever. And the more points you get decreases your premium. Oh, see? Yeah. Yeah, encourages- and, and you got to maintain a certain level of points every year. Your premiums can fluctuate based on like, well, I didn't go to the doctor this year and get my physical. So I didn't get my points for that. It says earlier this year, BlackRock invested 30 million euros into Scalable Capital, a European app only investment platform. BlackRock, which manages 5.7 trillion globally, also acquired Future Advisor. So BlackRock, it seems, is 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 high on this idea. It'll be interesting to see if somebody BlackRock whoever comes up with mm-hmm. comes up with the secret sauce here. And in our second headline, we're joined again like we are once every month by our social media correspondent Jamie Wise from the Buzz Index back in the basement. How are you, man? Great to be back in the basement, Joe. I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. Sitting here thinking about the holidays, but congratulations on a, another great month for the Buzz Index. Well, thank you very much. You know, I guess the AI continues to add value, get smarter as it trades, and have an ever-expanding universe of stocks to target as uh, people continue to take up online and, and talk about their investment portfolios and stocks they like and stocks they don't. Well, we look at the we look at the fourth quarter, and I immediately think holiday shopping. I look at the Buzz Index, and I think wherever I swipe my card, you guys are making money. You know what? The processors, the payment processors are really all represented in the index. Why do you this think- might be the first time, actually, that all four are in the index at the same time. Yeah. Why do you think that is? You know, I, I think it's a couple of things. Probably it's pretty clear now and you just have to look at Amazon, which is also a, a core holding of the buzz index and how well they're doing and how people are becoming more and more comfortable living all parts of their lives, you know, online. And that includes shopping, obviously. And who benefits from that, right? It's the processors. We all, you know, were worried a decade ago, I'm never putting my credit card online. And that sounds scary. And now we all probably have our credit card information stored on dozens of different websites and don't give it a second thought. And of course, who's going to benefit from that? All the processors, right? And whether that's Square, PayPal, Visa, or MasterCard, they've certainly had a strong run and and people are optimistic on the prospects. 
especially heading into the holiday season. Yeah, well, let's talk about the holiday season. You know, looking at the buzz, Jamie, who do you think is going to win out when it comes to retail? You know what? Retail's having such a tough time, right? And I think the community recognizes that. We don't have a lot of traditional brick and mortar exposure in the portfolio. People just don't like those prospects. It's easy to shop on Amazon. You get the product the next day. It comes as advertised. Amazon continues to deliver. They continue to eat everyone's lunch. The stock price is reflecting it. The sentiment is reflecting it. It's one we wouldn't fade. We'd look for that company to continue to win the battle for the consumer. I was surprised by another name in the index. Apparently, there's a bunch of buzz around Snap. I thought Snap was dead. Wow. You know what? The buzz has always been there for Snap, but this is the first time it's ever been positive. That was just, you know, so notable to us when we rebalanced the index in October and saw it make an appearance in the index because we've been tracking it since the company IPO'd. We've had a lot of people ask us about the name. It's, It's really a polarizing type of stock. You know, as soon as they IPO'd, Facebook came out and tried to basically copy all of their features and and put them out of business. And we had always observed sentiment as negative around the stock straight out of the IPO. Even when the stock went up, people were negative. They thought that, you know, their business model, there really wasn't a moat around it that they could protect. And, you know, how could they compete with Facebook? And the stock started reflecting that not too long after the IPO. It sank down, I think in the summertime, it probably bottomed around $12 a share, somewhere around there. But that's when the stock really found a floor. And that's also when sentiment found a floor. And it just sort of slowly started building. And I think, believe it or not, if if we can put Snap and value in the same category, people started looking at it as a value stock. They started thinking, okay, hold on a second. Maybe this thing has fallen too far. Maybe it's not going out of business tomorrow. And sentiment started picking up and notably picking up to the point where it actually came into the index in, in October. It's going to be really an interesting story to watch expectations are so low. It is so polarizing. We put out our index rebalance and I had immediately a couple of emails in my inbox saying, wait a second, I'm short snap in my portfolio. Are you sure you got this right? And I think that really highlights the value of what we're doing here at Buzz because everyone has an opinion, especially on snap, but collectively you might not be aware that the Buzz has turned on snap and now there's more people quietly bullish this name than not. They report earnings it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with that name. I'm always surprised when I get my when when I get an email from you guys. By the way, people can go to stackybenjamins.com forward slash B-U-Z-Z and uh, sign up for your newsletter, which comes out. You talk about your rebalancing every month, but then I also get these surprise ones when there's some big, big news that comes out. Sure. And I'm scrolling back to see when we talked about Snap. Here it was in May, actually. And we put out a flash notice. And this is really some of the extra value that we can add to your listeners is that we're not just talking about names in our index. We're talking about names that people care about. We put out a post after Snap first missed their earnings saying, wait a second, the buzz has been negative on this name and it's still negative. Avoid Snap in your portfolio. And that was back in May. I think the stock went from 22 to about 18. And then from May through the summer, drifted down to 12. Now it's positive. It's in the index. We're going to see what happens, but definitely sign up for those flash updates. Yeah. And the index trades, ticker symbol BUZ. 
And uh, by the way, as a disclosure, I own the Buzz Index. Doesn't make it right for you, but um, have to disclose that I am a I'm a buyer, Jamie. So, <laughs> well, it's just amazing. We're so excited now that you know we have this technology where we can listen into the conversation. We can finally identify sentiment right down to the stock's level. We don't have to think about proxies for sentiment. We don't have to pull for it anymore. We don't have to look at market indicators. We can actually look stock by stock and just listen to what people are saying. Turns out that those insights can really add some value as we've seen over the last year and a half for the ETF. Jamie Wise, congratulations on another great month for the Buzz Index, and uh, we'll see you again next month. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks, Joe. So I think the lesson here is turn your investments into a game, turn whatever you do into a game. Well, whether you're a millennial or not, I think that's a great idea. Just if you make it a game, makes it more fun, makes it more interesting, and you get ahead. This whole podcast is a game. This is just one big game to you, isn't it? Mom <laughs> says that all the time. <laughs> she does, actually. <laughs> Lisa Phillips, I think we'll ask her about her story because it's really interesting. But she is the person behind the very popular website, AffordableRealEstateInvestments.com. She's an engineer by trade, but she loves the real estate investing game. We're going to learn about it from her, and I'm very excited to say hello to Lisa Phillips coming down to the basement. And coming down the stairs to the basement, Lisa Phillips. How come it took us so long to get you on the show? Hey, you know, we've known about each other. I, know. I think we just were just so busy uh, laying down our, our different foundations. I think it's only that. Well, I love what you do. Because, and, and tell me how you started on your real estate journey. What was your first uh, property buy? The first property buy was a terrible mistake. Was <laughs> it? was a great learning experience. Oh, this is good. <laughs> so right out of college, I always had a real estate investment bug. Uh, real estate investments or just houses in general. And a lot of people just have that bug. We love homes. Humans love homes. We love nice built homes. We love the bigger, the better, the more beautiful. And I got caught up in that. So my first job out of school, six months in, I buy a house and it was in 2006 and everyone had seen all of these houses go from like 150,000 to 400,000. Houses were just climbing off the roof, and I'm like, I need to get out of this, but there's nothing under $400,000. <laughs> so, oh, no. Yes. And so I jumped in head first, and, you know, first lesson is the only people I could talk to about it were sort of family members who didn't know that much about any of this either. So it just goes to show that if you talk to people who aren't really well-established in that area financially, they can't give good financial advice because I was like, yeah, I can afford it, but it's more than half of my paycheck, you know, after taxes and everything. Right. They're like, that's okay. Like, that's not okay. Right, right. <laughs> not at all. Okay. It's not at all. But, you know, I got a college engineering degree working for IBM. I'm filling myself. So I'm like, this could work. And financially, that's just not a good decision at all to place yourself in. It's not um, the stability you need. But sometimes you just don't have anyone to talk to. And all we saw was rising house prices, rising house prices. So it's just a fundamental lesson that, hey, it's not about your intelligence. You know, it's not about how smart you are. It's how financially sophisticated or what financial skill set you know about or have experience in, or at least who around you has it. And when you don't, you'll make a mistake like that. And so 
a couple of years later after that house was purchased, it was a beautiful big house, but like absolutely ridiculous now that, you know, 10 years, <laughs> 10 years later, like what was, we were so caught up. We were just, it was just such not a good financial decision, but I lost it to foreclosure a couple of years later. I'd gotten laid off and it was like 2008, 2009. I tell people during that recession, there were like 500,000 jobs lost a month. Do you remember those times oh. like during the recession and, and it's everybody coming homeless and foreclosures were up. I don't know if you remember that time, but it's just imprinted on my brain. No, it's everybody around you and everybody's losing their houses. And like we've had uh, other guests say, you know, you feel like a loser and a deadbeat. What's amazing to me and, and inspiring to me is that you didn't quit with that. Like you see a lot of people that quit with that. You didn't quit. You refined. No. Yeah. You I was so determined. <laughs> I had to turn this into a good, it's for my own pride's sake. So what was and that's the, where all of this came from? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I actually didn't feel like a loser. I feel bad for people that do because that can be inhibiting. I actually, because I was just so much more of a number by the time it came to me. And maybe it's because I'm a little younger, you know, it's different to have this happen when you're 28 um, and it's your first house versus when you're a little older. I think you may be able to take the hit a little bit better as a learning experience. So I didn't feel like a loser because there's just so many people like foreclosure here. I was just, I, I, you know, I wasn't the first. I was like two years into like the constant hammering. Yeah. And you definitely and you definitely weren't the last either. Right. We're still feeling the effects. Right. Jeez. Certain communities. Did you then turn to low priced real estate because of the fact that you were over your head? Like, did you say, OK, I'm never making that mistake again. So now I'm going to the other end of the spectrum. Ha! <laughs> Always working in extremes, right? When you say it like that, you're absolutely correct. It is 100% what happened right before I got laid off again for the second time. I'd purchased a $35,000 condo and I was living in it. And then I lost my job again, like, you know, two weeks later, because that's how life is during the recession. Of course. And I remember just, you know, I had to let the house in Vegas go because of that, because I couldn't afford it. I couldn't afford both where I was living. Vegas because I was already underwater. So the rents I were getting were about $900 less per month than what the note was. Oh no. That's how, under, that's how extreme it was. I like paid for that the whole time, right. To manage my financial obligation. But by the end and that second job loss, not only had I been paying that $900, what could that $900 a month to cover the difference, but also it was worth 60% less of what I purchased from 60%. Mm. So I didn't feel like a loser. I was just like, this just is economically the yes. best decision right yeah. now. I can't keep this up. Economic hardship. And but having also had that 35K condo and realizing that these this price point can exist in different types of neighborhoods across the country, it just resonated because during a scary time I felt secure. I was like $350 a month. I can mystery shop because I'm a mystery shopper or I used to be. I, I, I can mystery shop and do this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. No matter so, what your side hustle is, 350 bucks a month is something you can side hustle and make it happen. You can do that. If you want to, you can do it. I think I even sold, this is a bit humbling and it's not a bad thing, but it is when you, you have an engineering degree and you work for IBM. I was even selling Cutco knives. So yeah. you can side hustle your way to making that mortgage if you need to make it. And it was just such a warm, secure feeling. I was like, okay. So later when I finally got a job again, I was like, I want to make this happen again. And I really started going, well, how can I do this again? Because everyone's scared of these neighborhoods. What systems can I put in place to account for that and still keep doing it 
And my idea, because I'm always a little bit more on the extreme end than other people in my thought process, which sort of works out in a lot of ways for other people's benefits. But I was like, I could save up half my money if I make 70000 a year and buy one of these houses a year. That was my goal. And so? And that's what I started doing. <laughs> <laughs> but you've bought more than one a year, haven't you? No, no. That was basically the rate in different styles. Like the last house was my own home, which we sort of converted into a semi-duplex to do Airbnb rentals. Yeah. So basically that was the pace. I, because of some of the techniques I use, which if you go along for the journey and I'm on YouTube at Affordable REI, you'll hear some of that journey. I had to use different loan mechanisms, which meant I had to wait a little longer before I could buy my next one just because, you know, different type of loan products are a little bit higher in payment. And so basically, yeah, that's the system. And what I started doing is I really systematized everything. That's where I guess you're, you know, everyone's so unique, right? Everyone brings something different. I bring a love of real estate. I bring an affinity with numbers. And I also bring my engineering training, which makes me very good with systems, right? So what systems and metrics can I come up with to make sure if it meets all this, we're pretty much aligned to have a great property that cash flows and is in a decent neighborhood that we could be very comfortable with. And I brought that in and as long as with um, I have a pretty strong work ethic and I can be very frugal when needed, when the time calls for it. I spend, you know, and I spend, but when I need to pull back, I really can and not have too much pride in the way of what I need to show or flash off. So I can, I can be frugal when needed. And uh, I did it. And so this whole system was created and I just went to YouTube because I was like, there's other people like me who want to get started who have been told because in the real estate investing industry, neighborhoods that I go into, people have directly said, do not go into those neighborhoods. Do not purchase at that price range. Yeah. And some of what they said is valid, but a lot is not. It really just depends on who they're talking to, what the messenger is. Well, that's my question. Yeah. That's my question, Lisa, is that, that there's a lot of pitfalls out there and you've created a system sure. and obviously we won't have time to go through your whole system, but I do want to go through when people buy in this price range, what everybody else is pointing to that you're referencing is the pitfalls. What are those pitfalls that people really worry about? So this is sort of a nuanced conversation we're entering into, right? I've been embracing that as I've been doing this the last four years and I realized why I had so many walls put up against me when I went online to some of the biggest real estate investing sites. Oh. There are a lot of walls put down. I said, hey, these houses are cheap. Why don't I get it? They're like, no, don't do it. Really? Yes, absolutely. There are articles written on do not invest in because it's called, you know, it's like the sub 30K thing. Don't invest in properties under $30,000. Multiple articles directly against what I was advocating. So a lot of pushback, right? A lot. And it sort of makes sense. So the pitfalls that they were concerned with is that these neighborhoods would be filled with crime, people who did not pay their rent, right? people who would damage your property, right? and basically you wouldn't get your money and you'd be in rent court every day. Okay. And so, and so how do you get around those with your system? I would say, first of all, those aren't the pitfalls of being in a lower or middle income area. Those are just <laughs> pitfalls to avoid for any demographic. Right, right. It segs off into, I'm doing rental properties. I show people how to gain wealth through rental properties, just one property at a time. And I'm sort of a lone voice. Most people are into faster money, money where it's tax lien sales, uh, money where it's flipping, things where you don't have to interact with people. And so 
not only am I talking about something that not it's a tried and true method of gaining wealth, rental properties. So it's tried and true throughout all the centuries, but it's not the sexy one. It's the one where you have to interact with people. And I think some of it all just comes down to the interaction with people. So, and first of all, they're like, why would you rent it when you could just flip it, not have to worry about phone calls or fixing toilets, you know? So in general, you have to sort of take that into account. The people who are typically doing investments may not have always been really good at interacting with people, may, may or may not, but that is really prevalent for them. Whereas for me, I embrace it. And in the system, I embrace it. And I tell you to embrace the type of neighborhoods you're going into. So that's one major discordant theme that I sort of really promote that other people don't, which is why it really does matter who the messenger comes from if their whole outlook on that human interpersonal interaction is going to be completely different. And then two, how do you avoid those pitfalls? Two, it's understanding these neighborhoods in a way that people don't really talk about. You know, I'm okay with talking about low income, middle class, working class neighborhoods, because based off my own experience, I'm very comfortable talking about the differences and how you approach that differently. I approach a neighborhood where everyone's trying to get into that's an A-class neighborhood that is, you know, um, majority affluent, majority maybe Caucasian, white, or, you know, whatever that might be, money and class and race can come into that. Is just a little different than how I would approach a neighborhood that is less affluent, maybe a majority minority of some sort. And just really talking about what those differences are based on my experience, other investors' experience. How do I account for that in a very logical, financial, and human viewpoint of it? So, do And I think it's just that strain of talking about, well, these are the differences. That's okay. Yeah. This is how you adapt to it is the real big difference. Like, I embrace the human element of it. And I think that's why it's just such a different thing that hasn't been talked about that I have to go up against. What, what corner everyone else put themselves into. Yeah, I find this very fascinating because it sounds like you get to know the actual neighborhood where people want to take all these neighborhoods and make them one in the same. Yes, it's very individualized. It's very, as you'll hear me say, it's block by block and that's okay. And this is what you need to look for, well, you know? And so that's what I show people when they invest in my programs or coaching. Got it. And I imagine when you put that type of detail into it, obviously, then yeah. you feel a lot more comfortable with the investment yeah. and not because of the fact that it's a $35,000 house, but because you just like if you bought a stock, you know, your uh, investment better. Yeah. It's just more thoughtful way of investing. It's it, not yeah. cookie cutter. Uh, everything I made, like I said, you bring your own unique talents, like the systems I, I created, you know, when your back is against the wall. And I like to say in a lot of sort of the main real estate investments blog, it's, Hey, ask your parents for that first loan. Right. Right. Hey, ask your friends and family. But for a lot of Americans in this country, our parents don't have money like that or they're not in the mentality to give because it might be the only money they've ever been able to get together. Whereas there's another family. You know, I love my sister-in-law and their family. I go visit them every year. But my brother married a woman whose family does have $80,000 to give their kids if they need it for a business venture. Wow. Right. It's a completely different mindset and um, social circle. But when it comes to me, my friends have money, but are they willing to give it up? Not right. not really. You know, it's the first time we've had money. Do you I, know what I mean? Yeah, I was going to say, can they adopt me if they've got 80000 to give away? I want to ask you. to be adopted. <laughs> it's a great family. I go to their cabin. Please. I've been to their cabin like a few times up in Utah. It's great. I want to ask you, I want to, I want to circle back to loans in a second, yeah. but do you use property managers or do you manage them yourself? 
Although people diverge on this, personally, I advocate property management, and that's taken highly into account. I do it because I really want that passive income. Sure. I'm really going for cash flow, freedom, lose a job and not stress because you have money coming in. And with that passivity, you're going to have to get a team around you and not do the work yourself. But I will say I have 3,800 people in my sub 30K mastermind group. And half of them will never pay 10% to a property manager. It is not wrong, right? And they're still able to manage it. But it's a different, uh, a little bit of a different tweak in mindset, you know, on how much you really want to be active in it. Yeah. And then when we when we get into financing these houses, do you see people generally take out a loan? Do they take out a loan against their main house because it's a smaller amount of money and maybe they have equity in their house? Do people generally pay cash? How do you find people finance them? All of the above. All of the above. You are correct. It is taking a line of credit. It is getting a traditional mortgage. And yeah, there are some unique circumstances because of the price range of how you're going to go about that, um, that we also delve into. But cash can be some of it. And other, you know, using lines of credit and credit very strategically to scale it up. Nice. And it's a lower price point. So, you know, you don't need $50,000 $50,000 to put on a $250,000 condo, right? Right. right. So because of the lower price rent, you need significantly less to get in, do, which do, is what I like about it. I don't like people when they're first time around. I don't like being told to stay in an A neighborhood or your local area because that might not be a good rental market. It might not be a good deal at all. And it can be very expensive depending on where you live. A friend of mine, uh, Dominique Brown, you may know, you may know Dom, he used to be on our show. Yeah. Dom really likes Section 8 housing. Do you find that a lot of these are Section 8 uh, renters? You know, that's the funny part. It depends on the demographic of the location. Okay. For instance, I find in um, high urban areas, Section 8 vouchers are worth a lot. And so they're actually not in my middle class right. neighborhood. They're in right. slightly nicer neighborhood right. because the cities have to pay more to make it competitive and cost of living. So they actually live in nicer, you know, just a little bit more nicer, just nicer neighborhoods. So yeah. I actually don't see it. But when you're in more rural areas and the vouchers aren't that high, they don't have a high cost of living. So you don't get that bump in how much those vouchers are then yes, you will see more in these neighborhoods, more Section 8 tenants. So it really does depend on the geography. And I use some jargon there for people listening that don't know what Section 8 is. It's a government guarantee that if for some reason the renter doesn't pay the rent, that the government steps in and pays it on their behalf. Would you say, I mean, is that a, a good working definition, Lisa? You do this far uh, more no, than I do. No, they don't step in. It's they are, the government decides per that individual family how much money they're going to pay, and they pay that every month. Gotcha. And some of it, it's 100% um, government subsidized. Some of it is 50%. And, you know, they pay 600, but the tenant is responsible for the other 600 or whatever it might be. But it's a guaranteed amount, whatever that percentage is. Got it. And do you find like Dom that you prefer? Do you look for that in your renting or like you said earlier, it it depends? It's agnostic. Um, They're fine tenants. Uh, Market tenants are fine. It's case by case. And, uh, you know, there's no cookie cutting anybody because everyone, people are different. I mean, not only section eight or market, but you, me, just everyone's so different that you can't go section eight renters are blank. I love how you take this individual by individual. I find that fascinating that you have a system, but Mm -hmm. it still is very individualized. And I think that's what makes you as successful as, as you are. Now you're, you're doing live coaching now. Talk about that. Yeah. Oh my 
my goodness. I'm so glad I'm doing it. I got advice from a previous mentor because I'm so glad that I believe in mentorship because I actually invested in a business coach to help me with the coaching business. He helped me become a better coach. And he's like, Lisa, you have to meet people in person. And there's nothing wrong with this. But sometimes when you start coaching or teaching online, you can build up these walls of like, no, it's just supposed to do it online and that's it. It's not a bad thing or ill intention, but he broke it down. It was like, you got to meet him face to face. And I started doing it. And so I have about six events planned this year. Awesome. <laughs> um, they're two day intensive. It was three days, but I realized two days is enough to go through all of it. And we go over everything. I cater it. I try to make it as pleasant as possible. I gather this crowd together and it's two days of real estate investing. It's not like one of those seminars. They always tell me, they're like, yeah, you go to some seminars and it's two days. And like, it's two days of saying how great real estate investing is, but you don't know what to do. Right. right? right. It's not like that. Although those are fun. I mean, they get really excited, you know, something to be said for motivation. Uh, but it's not like that. It's pure, you know, how do you structure your business? What's the best business? I usually have like either a lawyer or CPA come up for 90 minutes just so we can all ask questions. Okay, what do I do this? Should I start an LLC first? Can I deduct my costs and expenses? And all these questions get answered. And I go every, individually around to all 10 people and go, what's your business goals? What's going on in your business? Where are you at? And we map out like the next 12 month strategy. I just love it. I'm doing the next ones. And um, I have one at my private residence, actually hosted at my home in my Airbnb rental unit, actually, uh, this November. But then we have one coming up in Miami, D.C., New York and Atlanta for this year. And I'm so excited because sometimes you just start doing things and you should have been doing it the whole time, but you didn't know. But once you do, you're just fully in alignment right. with giving them what they need and you get what you need. And it, and it goes both ways. So I love my live events. If anyone ever wants to come, it really is personal. And I do say this a little tongue in cheek, but not. I think the people like meeting each other when they get to these events more so than me, because right. it's just such an atmosphere of excitement, motivation and people getting things done that whoever's on the bottom gets pulled up. And who's ever at the top goes even further, you know? So it's an amazing mind group. So yeah, I do in-person live events in addition to my online coaching, which I really love. The website is affordablerealestateinvestments.com. And uh, is that where people go to get more, Lisa? Yes. And you're going to love it. Just sit back. You're going to hear some stuff you might not have heard in traditional investing advice, but apparently that extra, that different perspective has been a breath of fresh air. So I say, come and embrace it. Learn it with the rest of us at the same time. That's so fun. And we'll also link to your your uh, Facebook page and uh, your Twitter profile and all the good stuff at stackybedjamins.com. Lisa, thanks for hanging out with us for a little bit. Thank you. I so appreciate it. And to the audience, thank you so much for taking the time with me. Take care. And I wish nothing but the best for you. Hey, trivia fans, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I've been cleaning out the trivia cabinet today, and what do you know? Not only did I find some great trivia about Joe's mom in a certain event back in 1963, won't be telling you about that anytime soon, but I also finally found those missing left socks I thought were long gone. Now that I've been solving those burning questions, why don't we solve this one I also found? When people give money to charity in their will, what's the average amount of money they leave? I'll be back with the answer in just a moment. All right, raise your hand. 
Do you drive an extra five minutes in traffic to save just a few pennies at the gas pump? Well, when's the last time you spent five minutes trying to save on the big things like auto loans? Lucky for you, we brought in Nick Clements from Magnify Money with a few tips on saving money if you find yourself financing a car. If you're buying a new car, there's really no better deal than the 0% financing that would be offered by the manufacturer. The issue really starts to happen if you don't qualify for the manufacturer's financing or you're buying a used car. And in those cases, I, I think it's a very good idea to always shop online and get a low rate before you walk onto the lot. Uh, chances are high that the dealer will beat it, but if you don't walk onto the lot with a low rate to begin with, you know you won't get the best deal. Thanks, Nick. More than just auto loans, Magnify Money's the perfect spot for reviewing just how well or not your checking and savings accounts are performing. You might just decide to switch banks, and guess what? Why stick with just one bank at all when you can use magnifymoney.com to always find best-in-class stuff? Stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnifymoney. Average person saves $450 in interest when they go there. Stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnifymoney. Here's a question. What's keeping you away from investing in real estate? Well, over my career, I repeatedly hear that time, you know, the time it takes to find renters, property managers, and to fix problems and stress. What if you don't find a good property manager? What if you don't find a renter? Those are two of the biggest factors keeping people away from investing in real estate. We talked to Gary Beasley, CEO of Roofstock, about how the team at Roofstock are helping you take back a good night's sleep. There's really no way to sell real estate today, rental homes with tenants in place. What we did with Roofstock was create the first way to do it. How's that for an advantage? Roofstock's online marketplace makes it easier than ever to buy, sell, and own tenant-occupied investment properties in top rental markets across the country. You own the house, but Roofstock handles as much or as little of the headache-inducing issues that you've come to expect with renting, but that doesn't have to happen if you partner with the right team. Best of all, Roofstock certified properties are backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Check them out at stackybedjamins.com forward slash Roofstock. That's stackybedjamins.com forward slash Roofstock. Hey there, trivia lover. Miss me? Yeah, you did. Well, I missed you too. But luckily, we can reignite this relationship with the answer to today's trivia. Here was the question. When someone gives money to charity in their will, what's the average amount of money they leave? Well, not everyone gives money to charity. When they do leave gifts, the average is $20,000. Were you right? If not, as Joe's mom says, keep your chin up because there's always more trivia on our next show. See ya. There's always more trivia. Yay. So keep your chin up, OG. $3,200. You don't give much money to charity. No, you asked me what I thought other people did. Oh, yes. But it'd be counterbalanced because you give so much. So there's exactly that's why we get to (laughs) 20,000. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's or rather life insurance's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they're disrupting the life insurance industry by focusing on what you value most your family and your time. They were the first life insurance startup that's also wholly owned by industry giant Mass Mutual to create a high-quality, affordable-term life insurance policy you can purchase entirely online, and qualified, healthy applicants 
can even skip the medical exam. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to learn about insurance the modern way. And today, I didn't even ask you what your two favorite things were today, did I? You didn't. You didn't. I, uh, I blew okay. right through that, man. You know why? Okay. Because we've got our new friend, Annie, who's waiting for us to throw out the Lifeline tour. Tomorrow. Hi, Joe and OG. This is Annie calling from Australia, and I'm really happy to be in the basement with you right now. My question is about what do you do when you and your partner are both on the path to financial freedom, but one of them is further along? My boyfriend is a little bit older, and he has had a bit more time in the workforce. But due to the way he's lived his life and some smart financial decisions he made before he met me, I would estimate he's about 10 years further along towards financial freedom and is on track to retire at 30. I really want to catch up to him because I would love for the both of us to enjoy our lives together and I'm concerned that there will be a point where he will be financially free and I won't be and I won't be able to join him in living that lifestyle. So do you have any tips on what we or I should do to bridge the gap between us? Thank you and I look forward to learning nothing. <laughs> Thank you, Annie. I'm, I'm always impressed. Uh, Australia, how about that? I finally get to say it, right? Good night, mate. You do. And it actually applies. <laughs> and it actually applies. First time in six and a half years. Shocker there. Uh, boyfriend, uh, really on track for 30. Yeah, geez. He must have really done some really smart things along the way. Yeah. So uh, tips for her to catch up. I think I think playing the catch-up game, though, can be dangerous, Annie. Uh, yeah, it sure can. Why not just like live on his money for a while and like pull him down toward you? You know, like, uh, like just, you know, it's not about pulling yourself up, Andy. It's about pulling him back. It's, it's you know to make to make yourself equal, <laughs> kind of help him go backwards. Maybe ask him to make a really silly decision. No, um, no. I think the biggest thing is you just gotta. It just is what it is, right? You know, you can't change the past. You know, we we'd all like to go back and make different financial choices. <laughs> At least I would, you know, ten years ago or fifteen years ago or twenty years ago. But um, but like I talked to clients about, I assume that you made the best decision with the information you had at the time. And trying to go back in time and rehash it just doesn't, you know, there's no productivity to that. So just make a new plan. You know, if you're 25 or if you're 30 and you say, well, he's going to be out at 30. Well, you try to be out by 35 or, you you know, and, and maybe that can look like um, maybe you don't work full time, you know, so you can enjoy some time together or maybe he'll find other things to do to occupy his time while you're, you know, trying to catch up or whatever the case may be. But um, I'm with you, Joe. I, I don't know that you want to really swing for the fences on every pitch here because you could get wrong. And then, and then now you're not 10 years behind, you're 20 years behind. The way I see it, OG, to your point, there's only three things, Annie, that you can do. Thing number one is uh, figure out ways to save more money faster, right? And for that, I mean, we have our we have our millionaire money mindset course you can take. You can do a bunch of different things. There's books out there. There's ways to save more money. That's number one. Number two is get a go for a higher rate of return on your investments, which to OG's point can be incredibly risky, but you can do that. So save more money, take more risk. Number three is, and I know OG joked about this before about pulling him down, but the third thing is 
conversation, right? A conversation with you and your boyfriend about how is this going to work? Because ideally, if the two of you are together, what does that future look like? And maybe, maybe it looks like you keep working and, and he's out fishing, but that doesn't mean it's bad. It just means that's, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's what you guys decided to do. Yeah. Yeah. But if you decide together, I think that's, that's where the excitement lies. But I think I, I, I don't see any road beyond conversation, higher rate of return, save more money. That's it. Yeah. 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 Besides pull him down. I mean, pull, yeah. pull drag him back to your level. I know she's Australian, but that's the American way. Annie. <laughs> The, yeah, right. The, if you can't beat them, join them. If right. I join them, that means make them join you. Right. Absolutely. Misery loves company. Thanks for the thanks for the question, Andy. If you've got a question for us, and clearly Andy learned nothing from that yeah, answer. That was absolutely <laughs> uh, yeah. Send those. If you want us to throw out the Haven Lifeline to you, uh, send that to joe at stackingbenjamins.com or go to our website, stackingbenjamins.com. And at the top... You'll see the button that says questions. Uh, Doug just brought down the mail, OG, and we've got a letter here from our new friend, JT. JT actually doesn't have a question. He's got a point uh, that he wanted us to make, which is around the discussions we had the last couple months with the Equifax data breach. Did you know that Equifax had a data breach? No, tell me about it. It's unbelievable. You need to talk, JT says, you need to talk about an identity protection PIN number from the IRS to help prevent tax fraud. It's a six-digit PIN number that changes every year and is sent out by mail from the IRS. The IRS will not accept a taxpayer's return unless that PIN is given or filed with the return. The catch, says JT, is once you sign up, it's a permanent step in the tax prep process. Thanks for that note, JT. You know a little bit about that, don't you, OG? Yeah, he's exactly right. If you've been a victim of fraud or in particular, you know, tax return fraud, which is even, I think, worse than credit card fraud, then you have to, you know, you have to do this for your own protection. And it's not exceptionally fun because you kind of have to wait on the government to tell you, you know, hey, here's your number to file. But I'd rather do that than get the dreaded letter in the mail that says, we've already received your tax return filed way back in January. And we already sent you out the refund of 32000 You didn't get that? And now you've got all sorts of other problems, right? Yeah, they call it so. an IP pin. And uh, we'll link to it on our show notes page at stackybedjamins.com. Thanks for that note, JT. Uh, if you've got a note or a question for us, once again, uh, go to the Stacky Benjamins website. And right at the top, it says questions. Man, what a great episode. And that means we are one day closer to Taco Tuesday. Only six days to go. <laughs> one day, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, coming up on Friday, boy, do we have a great show for you. We've got our friend Devin Carroll from the Big Picture Retirement joining Greg and Paula on our round table. And guess what? At the halfway point, our big technology guest is a company called Declutter. You and I have had a couple talks about Declutter. I've used Declutter a couple times, and OG, you're getting ready to use Declutter. Uh, I was thinking about it, yeah. Yeah. We'll learn a lot about Declutter after trying it out. I said, we got to get these guys on the show. So Liam Housley from Declutter, uh, also going to be here on Friday. Thanks also to everybody who left us a review of this here podcast at iTunes or wherever you listen to the show. It's always gratifying and fun to read the things that you guys write about us. Here's here's one from CSA Axel. Uh, five stars says, great podcast. Says, my wife loves this podcast, if you know what I mean. I have no idea. <laughs> no idea what he means. But thanks for the five stars. And Mom loves it, too, so she's putting that on the refrigerator. Hey, also, if 
you're thinking about the end of the year and early next year and your financial plan, it's a great time to set up your financial plan for next year. OG's taking clients. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash letter O, letter G, stackybenjamins.com forward slash OG to get on OG's calendar and talk about how he can be a part of your team. That's going to do it for today, guys. We'll see you back here on Friday. Go stack some Benjamins. Doug, what should we have learned today? Sure thing, Joe. You get back to cleaning out the kitty litter box. I'll tell everybody what we should have learned today. First, if you're considering real estate in your portfolio, it is possible to spend less money. But be ready to do some homework and get to know your individual properties inside and out. Second, thinking about investing but want it to be more like a video game? Yeah, who doesn't? Well, build yourself some milestones to reach and you'll probably find yourself much more involved in chasing your dreams. But the big lesson? Someone in Australia listens to Stacking Benjamins. Whoa, before you know it, there might be people in Indiana starting to listen too, or like maybe Vermont, exotic places like that. Special thanks to Lisa Phillips for joining us today. You'll find out more at Lisa's site, affordablerealestateinvestments.com. This show was created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Look, who do you want to teach you about money? Some nerd who's constantly talking over your head? Or your favorite basement-based geeks? You know it's us, we're the cool kids at this party. Hey, Kathleen Selmans, she operates our Stacking Benjamins classroom, and she's got this giant cloud of guilt hanging over her head, apparently, because she knows we teach you absolutely nothing on this show. So to make up for it, she's created a whole lot of tools you're going to absolutely love. Head on over to learn.stackingbenjamins.com for details. And, hey, use coupon code DOUGROCKS for a 10% off discount. You're welcome. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast, or on our Facebook page. Shannon Cowan is our community manager and social media guru. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm pretty much the guy in charge of everything around here. Trust me, this well-oiled machine didn't get like this all by itself. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Well, I, uh, after talking about it over and over and over, I finally got my movie pass coming this way. I tried to sign up for it, but um, they charged me four times and then sent me an email and said my movie pass was declined, just like every credit card I've ever applied for. <laughs> <laughs> they, t- they took my application fee.
You can see OG apply for a movie pass. Boop, boop, boop. They're like, we're going to lose money on this deal. <laughs> Decline. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like that. Who is that? Uh, Jonathan uh, Panette, the comedian who passed away, who talked about going to the buffet. He was a really big guy. And he talked about how he would be headed up to the Asian buffet. And the owner is like closing the door, locking it up, putting, we're, we're closed. How come there's tons of people inside? Oh, I'm sorry. We're closed. No, we can't do it. Uh, but uh, I saw a movie before I got my movie pass. Bummer there. Um, by the way, I think I'm going to go see Bad Mom's Christmas, which I know you're excited about. I have a philosophical problem with the, those kinds of movies. but Well, I know how you like Bad Mom's 1, the first one. That was like your favorite also movie. Also, philosophical problem with that one. Yeah, philosophical problem meaning you don't like Bad Moms? It's just an odd message, but... It, it, it is an odd message. I thought the first one was funny, though. Here's a movie I also... It can be funny, but, it, you know, it's it can be funny, but it can also be just a, you know... It's not up my alley. Also, I'm not a mom, so... I saw... Well, I'm not a mom either, but I think I'm going to go see it. But the movie I just saw was uh, this little movie about this uh, guy named Thor called Thor Ragnarok. So much has happened since I last saw you. I lost my hammer, like yesterday, so that's still pretty fresh. And then I went on a journey of self-discovery. Where I met you. Where are we? You have no idea. The goddess of death has invaded Asgard. Oh, I've missed this. And you and I had a fight recently. Did I win? No, I won easily. Doesn't sound right. Well, it's true. So the goddess of death, no big deal, OG, but the goddess of death now has taken over Asgard. And uh, hmm. that's Kate Blanchett playing the bad, bad, bad woman. There's also a hilarious cameo, very on the movie, just briefly, Matt Damon in this movie. I was oh, yeah. I was so surprised and I saw really little cameo. And of course you got a, a Stan Lee cameo like you do in every single one of these, and he shows up in a hilarious place too. Uh this movie promised to be a movie that kind of thumbs its nose at all of the other superhero movies that we've had, all the other Marvel movies. And it's meant to be campier, more superhero-y, fun-y. And is it? Absolutely it is. And was it a fun ride? Yes, absolutely was. But I almost fell asleep in the first third of the movie, which is never a good thing. Um, I was a little tired going in, but the movie couldn't really keep me awake, even though I thought it was it was fun. But the story is so predictable. It's such a superhero movie. It's just another another one on the on the uh, conveyor belt conveyor belt of superhero movie. So uh, if you're looking for a movie, that's just two hours of fun. You want to throw some money at the movie theater? Yeah. Go see Thor Ragnarok and you will get some chuckles and you'll see, you know, people fighting each other like they do in superhero movies and doing all the superhero stuff. And yeah, they do kind of thumb their nose at other superhero movies. Do I really care? No, not really. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the sense that I got from it. 
Yeah, it was okay. wasn't wasn't fantastic. wasn't horrible. You know, Disney is definitely gaming the the Rotten Tomato system because every one of these movies comes out and it gets like a 92, 95%. And I just, no. Those are reserved for like Oscar winners. Yeah, yeah. No, they are- Half the people should hate these movies, right? Well, and it's funny. I think I told you uh, once I was listening to a video game podcast and this video game reviewer did not like this particular video game. So he decided not to review it at all. And then I realized- how oh yes yeah you and i talked about this. yeah instead of giving a bad review he gave no review and i think that disney might be doing that i i I read something recently about disney and the new star wars movie coming out telling oh yeah all the stuff that they've got to yeah the boxes you have to check as a movie theater operator to uh, get the movie yeah yeah it's got to be there for a month you know it's in the biggest theater in the biggest theater for a month or you don't get it but the, well, you can get it. Then you just have to pay the seventy percent royalty instead of sixty, which yeah. is also unheard of at sixty, I guess. Right. Yeah. So I think um, I don't know with this movie. I think it has like a ninety-two percent. Is it a seventy percent movie? Yeah. You know, if if you told me seventy, I'd say yeah. Ninety-two? No way. Nope. So anyway, Thor Ragnarok, thumb sideways. Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.